Hello and welcome to the latest on Lightboard Transition. I'm Laura Dalvidia and this is PwC's podcast series about the challenges and opportunities when transitioning away from Lightboard. Less than 70 days until the end of 2021 and the end of part one of Lightboard Transition. The FCA has finally confirmed the proposed rules and principles around the permitted use of synthetic Lightboard. We've heard clapping from the market, but then also dim views from the regulators indicating that this is not a good result or what they really wanted. I want to dig deeper on this. Is this the silver bullet we've all been waiting for or just a tool to buy us all some more breathing space for now without being the long-term solution? In this episode, I have two Lightboard Transition SMEs in my virtual studio. Sarah Makusik is a finance lawyer who uh, specializes in lending and is a senior legal consultant in our new law team. Michael Dahls is a senior manager from our regulatory conduct team. He's been working on Lightboard Transition at some of our most significant banking clients with a particular focus on the lending book. Welcome both and let's go. Uh, Sarah, just to make sure that we are all on the same page, can you very briefly explain what we're talking about here? Yes, of course, and thanks for the invite. It's great to be here. So we've seen some developments on synthetic LIBOR over the last couple of months. The critical benchmarks bill is now making its way through Parliament, and that's expected to be passed into law by the end of 2021. The FCA have issued their statement regarding the use of synthetic LIBOR. They've confirmed that they will require the publication of one, three and six month sterling and yen LIBOR under what they're calling a synthetic methodology for a limited period after the end of this year. The FCA's consultation on which legacy contracts can use synthetic LIBOR rates closed on the 20th of October and the FCA will confirm before the end of the year which legacy contracts are permitted to use synthetic LIBOR rates. We covered the key proposals in the consultation and gave some practical takeaways in our recent At A Glance publication on synthetic LIBOR, which is well worth taking a look at if anyone needs a refresher. Thanks, Sarah. Um, Michael, Sarah mentioned the synthetic methodology. Can you explain what it is, please? Thanks, Laura. Yeah, and thanks very much for having me on today. So the synthetic methodology is quite a significant change to how the LIBOR rate is calculated today. So when synthetic LIBOR is published for the first time on the 4th of January in 2022, it will no longer be based on the panel bank submissions. Instead, it will be based on the relevant currency RFR term rates that are now being published. So ICE term Sonia for sterling and TORF for yen. The rate is also going to be inclusive of a credit adjustment spread. And that's what's most commonly referred to now as the ISDA spread. So the values that were fixed and published by Bloomberg on the 5th of March, which used the five-year historical median approach. It is worth noting that whilst RFR term rates are designed to reflect the market's expected future value of an RFR rate, if you actually look at some of the historical data here and compare RFR term rates to compounded RFR rates and also LIBOR rates over equivalent interest periods, you can see some differences, especially when you look at the longer six-month tenor. So this doesn't necessarily mean synthetic LIBOR will always be higher than compounded RFRs for equivalent interest periods, but there are possible economic differences, and I think that's important to be aware of and important for clients to be aware of. So LIBOR will still look the same on the screen, but actually it is really quite different. 
Um, the FCA's proposal was to permit legacy use in all contracts except clear derivatives. We said in our global market update that there was a collective exhaling of market participants after the announcement. Um, Michael, what's your experience? What was the response? Yeah, I, th I think that's right. And I think it's fair to summarise that this has been seen as a very positive update across the industry. I think there had been a noticeable change in the tone around synthetic LIBOR for the last few months. So I think this is ultimately what people had started to expect and hope for. I think we've all experienced that the industry has been working tirelessly on this transition for the past few years and months. So to have this added contractual certainty for a large population of contracts that haven't yet been transitioned um, is definitely welcome relief for many. As ever with LIBOR transition though, the devil will be in the detail of each individual contract. And I think that's something that Sarah, you'll cover in a bit more detail. Um, but also this will throw up some interesting scenarios, uh, definitely over the course of the next two and a half months that the banks need to think through. And you mentioned different scenarios. Uh, can you explain a bit more on that, please? Sure. So, so let's take a couple of quick examples outside of the usual use cases for synthetic LIBOR. Let's say my client has a loan agreement which matures after the cessation date. It hasn't transitioned yet and there's no legal documentation drafted. Prior to the synthetic LIBOR announcement, you would probably deem this contract pretty high risk and you'd be prioritising it before the end of the year. However, if the remaining fixings on that agreement are in 2022 only when synthetic LIBOR will be published and it's based solely on sterling or yen, in theory, this contract could rely on synthetic LIBOR in the short term through to its maturity. A similar example might be that my client has a loan agreement, again, which hasn't transitioned yet, but this time they have a planned refinancing in the next year. So in theory, they could rely on synthetic LIBOR to this point, then repaper to RFR during that refinancing exercise. In both of these scenarios, I guess it's likely that clients will be asking whether they really need to transition now and if they really want to spend money on legal reme remediation fees now. These are real life scenarios we're starting to see. So firms will need to be very, very clear on how they react to client inquiries like this and also to ensure that they're meeting the expectations of the regulators whilst also acting in the best interest of their clients. Interestingly, the FCA published a Q&A which did mention this topic. It was very clear in the Q&A that a client with a facility maturing beyond 2022 would require active transition rather than relying on synthetic LIBOR, as there's no assurance that synthetic LIBOR will last beyond this date. However, when you take into account the scenarios I just mentioned, it's a little less clear cut. So the FCA points out that there are advantages to moving to compounded RFR rates as soon as you can. So the robustness of the underlying benchmark and the availability of hedging products. However, they did also note that the continued use of synthetic LIBOR will allow some contracts to reach their natural maturity and roll off. So I think it's fair to say that each scenario will need to be considered very carefully. Thanks, Michael. And how about conduct risk and uh, treating customers fairly? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So firms always need to show that they've treated their customers fairly. In the context of synthetic LIBOR, this came up both in the Q&A I just mentioned and also on the 8th of October webinar held by the FCA. So generally speaking, firms need to show that they are continuing to actively transition to remove any reliance on LIBOR in any form. But ultimately, firms need to act in line with the previous, previously published conduct risk guidance. So make information available to your clients in a timely manner 
and then make sure the client can make an informed decision on that basis. I, I think that's key when considering the scenarios I mentioned above. Just picking up on that last point, um, as it's been a theme throughout the whole LIBOR transition process, it's obviously um, really important that banks get the right balance between making sure their customers are properly informed about LIBOR demise and its implications without crossing over into advisory territory if that's not going to be appropriate. Um, fair to say there's lots of material available on this topic, um, including the FCA's Q&A document that Michael just mentioned. Um, they outline the key considerations and, and areas where legal advice or analysis may be required. I think what this means in practice is that all parties should be able to bring themselves up to speed if they aren't already and make informed decisions about how they want to proceed on a case-by-case -case basis. Thanks both. I, I, I'd like to pick your brains on the practicalities of synthetic LIBOR. It all sounds brilliant on paper. If you have tricky legacy contracts, you can just leave them as they are. Um, synthetic LIBOR rates will be seamlessly on the screens from next year. But Sarah, is it that simple? No, not, not quite. Um, the FCA has been consistently clear that synthetic LIBOR is not the long-term answer. It's just there as a bridge, essentially, to help with a, a smooth transition into 2022 um, for those contracts that you couldn't move off LIBOR before the end of this year. So I think you need to assume that those contracts will still need to be transitioned by the end of next year if they haven't expired before then. So all this is really doing is buying you some more breathing space. Um, the FCA and others have also been at pains to point out um, that you can't just assume that all of your LIBOR contracts will fall within scope and be able to rely on synthetic LIBOR. You'll need to look at each contract um, to check how it's worded and then work out you know, practically how that fits in with the scope of the proposed legislation, as well as the FCA's proposals for tough legacy contracts. Also remember, um, this is only going to apply to UK law governed contracts. So I guess what we mean by that is contracts that are governed by either English, Scottish or Northern Irish law. Um, also, it will only pick up the relevant libel currencies and tenors. It's not going to cover everything. So the other thing to look at is if your contract contains fallbacks with pre-cessation triggers, then you know, depending on how they're worded, synthetic libel probably won't apply at all. The key word here is temporary. So the synthetic LIBOR rates for Japanese yen settings will be available for one year only. And the regulators say they haven't made the decision on whether those will be available for the USD settings at all after mid-2023. But many think it's not going to happen. For sterling settings, though, the FCA has the power to keep synthetic LIBOR going for 10 years. But Michael, will they do it? Yeah, I think the general consensus is that synthetic LIBOR is just a temporary solution and the plan is for the publication to cease after the end of next year. This is certainly what firms should be assuming, I would say, and based on the Q&A, whilst the FCA has the ability to keep synthetic sterling LIBOR going for longer than the end of next year, their policy intention, um, as they say in the Q&A, is that they want to avoid this as much as they can. I think this is important from a planning perspective. Many eyeball programs will be winding down over the course of the next year. So I think assuming that all of their transition efforts will complete at the end of next year um, is important as anything beyond that might start to become difficult to resource. So if the regulators start restricting the permitted use after the first year or at some point over the next 10 years, how would they actually do that? 
So Edwin Schooling Latter reiterated that the um, the use of synthetic LIBOR in legacy contracts would remain at the discretion of the FCA, and it's the legislation that essentially gives them that power. The FCA may decide to extend its use um, for some or all sterling tenants, for example, beyond the um, end of 2022, or it may retire it, or it may restrict its use in terms of which asset classes or you know, type of product um, is able to rely on it to ensure that transition continues. If you had to summarise synthetic LIBOR into one sentence then, uh, what would that be? So for me, I'd say it, um, it's a helpful bridge, that, um, but that's all it is. It's not going to be particularly useful for you going forward. Yeah, and I'd say firms need to take this as an opportunity to reassess their contractual risks and then reprioritize their transition efforts. But the key message is don't lose momentum on your transition efforts. Time for my final question. I ask this in every episode. Um, what keeps you awake at night in terms of light bulb transition, of course, not, not kids or pets? Well, um, thankfully, I'm pretty much past the days now with my kids. But in terms of LIBOR transition, I think the biggest challenge for banks before the end of the year is going to be volumes. There's still a lot to get done by lawyers and programme teams, you know, in terms of loan amendments, for example. So synthetic LIBOR will take the timing pressure off some contracts, but banks will, you know, quite rightly still want to hit their internal milestones for transition wherever they can. Yeah, th thankfully, my dog's a good sleeper and I don't have kids. Um, but yeah, I'd like to say that LIBOR transition doesn't keep me awake at night. But for me, the thought of working on the transition of synthetic sterling LIBOR contracts in 10 years time is quite a chilling one. Uh, so let's hope we don't get to that stage. And it's a wrap. Thank you both for your insights and thank you to our listeners. Please get in touch if you have any questions. You can also sign up to our market update newsletter, which covers the latest developments globally. And please subscribe to this podcast for future episodes. But for now, that's all from me. Thank you, everybody. Mm -hmm.